So at Redeemer, we've been working our way through seven statements that Jesus makes in John's Gospel about himself. And today, we are looking at the sixth of those seven. It's found in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And what Jesus is going to say in this passage is, I am the resurrection and the life. And so today, we want to consider these words of Jesus where he offers himself as resurrection and life. So if you would, please read with me from John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, The illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Excuse me, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had, been, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. There's a part of me that just wants to say amen and go sit down. Friends, this story is not a fable. It's not even one of the parables that Jesus would tell in his ministry. It is a real story of a real man in a real place at a real time who died. And Jesus rose from the grave for the purpose of displaying his power over death and his ability to grant life that transcends all of eternity. So the main point of this passage is very simple. Jesus Christ brings unending life that transcends death. But I also think it's important for us to note that we do live in a broken and fallen world. 
and in this broken and fallen world. We both need hope that Jesus overcomes all of it, and we need hope to navigate the loss and the hardship and the pain and the grief that comes with living in a fallen world. This passage offers both. Again, the main thrust comes from verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is our sixth of these I am statements. I am is an intentional word choice by Jesus saying, I am claiming the name of God for myself. Exodus chapter 3. But in particular, I'm claiming the name of God for myself because I am God, but today I am the resurrection. That is, I overcome death and I am the life. I give true, lasting, eternal life. And we live in a culture that says, show me, show me. And so what happens is Jesus is going to show them. First, in the resurrection of Lazarus. And second, in his own resurrection. But today, the resurrection of Lazarus. So if you're one of our friends who take notes, our first point is seeing victory over death. Jesus is going to visibly display his power over death in this story. This is a real story of Lazarus who had sisters named Mary and Martha who lived in a town called Bethany. These are three real people in a real place at a real time. And often in the New Testament and in the Scripture, this this listing of real people in real places at real times is a way that the authors of Scripture kind of say, like, go fact check it. Go find out if it's true. And what we see in this story is victory over death. That Jesus has power over death. So let's let's learn from the story. The first thing we find out in the story is that this man named Lazarus is ill. Deathly ill. We know that he's deathly ill because in just a few days uh, he will be dead. We also see and know that that Jesus knew he had a relationship with Lazarus and he loved Lazarus very much. So there are throughout the scriptures just stories of people that that feel random coming to Jesus for healing, coming to Jesus for help. Um, But in this particular story, this is is a friend. Jesus loved Lazarus and his family very much. Mary and Martha... Send for Jesus in hope that Jesus will come and heal Lazarus. In Mary and Martha, there is no doubt of Jesus' ability to heal. So much so that once Lazarus has died and once Jesus arrives, both of them say, if you would have gotten here sooner, you could have prevented this. There was no absence of of confidence, no absence of hope that Jesus is able to heal. Because Jesus loved 
And then this is the part of the story that just, one of many, that, that really makes us stop and scratch our heads. And, and, and I'm in verse 5. <laughs> what verse 5 says is, Jesus gets a plea, come and heal Lazarus. And the passage says, because Jesus loved Lazarus and loved Mary and loved Martha, he stayed two days longer where he was. We'll talk about this a little bit more later. But at its core, this, this reality reminds us that often what is most loving is not what we think we want. And often what is most loving is getting something completely different that's far greater. Next movement in the story, Lazarus dies. So Jesus stays two days longer. Lazarus dies. We're told in, in verse 4 and in verse 15 that Jesus stayed and Lazarus died and all this transpired for the glory of God so the Son of God might be glorified through it and so that, that the disciples will believe. So there was a purpose in the staying and there was a purpose in the way the story unfolded. Jesus ultimately does go to Bethany. And when he gets there, we're told that Lazarus has been dead for four days and been in a tomb for four days. That's in verse 17 and verse 39. We're told that he's been there long enough that there would be an odor. But there's something else that's really important about this idea of four days. At the time that Jesus was, that this story was unfolding, there was a popular belief amongst even the Jews that when someone died, their soul stayed with them, stayed near the body for three days. And then after three days the soul would go away into a place called Sheol. Now, I'm not teaching that or affirming that. I'm just telling you that's what these folks believed. So, so the, the, the import of the fourth day is not only is Lazarus physically dead, but his soul has now departed his body. And so when the miracle happens and when Jesus makes him alive, it's not just that he's physically going to breathe again, but it's that, that his, his soul will, will be with him and he will be revived anew. So in some ways, the four days is saying, like, like not only is he dead, but he's, he's dead dead. Like he's, he's really dead. This is not supposed to be changeable at this point. So Jesus arrives, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days, and people ask questions of 
Jesus. Again, we're going to talk about this a little more in, in just a few minutes, but, but all questions are not wrong. All questions are not sinful. All questions are not skeptical. And I actually think in these questions, some of them are asked in faith, and some of them are asked in hope, and some of them are skeptical. So let's, let's look at them. Verse 21, Martha, the first sister, runs out, falls before Jesus and says, if you would have been here sooner, he wouldn't have died. But I also know that whatever you ask will happen. So I have hope. And then she and Jesus go on to talk about eternal life. Martha believed in eternal life. Martha believed in eternal life for herself and eternal life for her brother. She's not questioning out of, in a sinful way. I think she is questioning in faith, but she's questioning. Verse 32, Mary, Mary comes. Mary comes and is very emotional before Jesus and says, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And, and she weeps. Jesus weeps with her. Again, questioning in faith. Verse 37. The Jews, again, not questioning in faith, but in derision, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have not been able to, to save Lazarus? Is there, is there a limitation to his power? Is there a limitation to his ability? And so the story comes to crescendo. Illness has become death. Hope has become grief. Questions have become doubt. And we come to the tomb itself. This is in verse 38 and following. Jesus says, remove the stone. He prays to the Father. And with a loud voice says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out wrapped in his burial cloth. And Jesus basically says, get that stuff off of him and let him go because the man was dead and now he's alive. Breathed his last, breathing again. Gone four days, back again. In this story, we get a clear delineation of the power of Jesus. Even death is overcome by him. So what do we make from this story? First, it proves the great claims and the power of Jesus. It's one thing to say, I'm the resurrection and the life. It's another thing to raise the dead. It's one thing to say, I'm able. It's another thing 
to do it. And so this story, for all who are gathered around, grieving, hoping, longing, questioning in faith, questioning in derision, genuinely wondering, what we get is Jesus displaying His power. He is able. His power transcends this life. It transcends into eternity. Second, we see that Jesus is the defeater of death. And in defeating death, we're also defeating sin. Again, verses 25 and 26, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is saying, I am undoing everything that's wrong with the world. God created, sin entered the world, and death because of sin. The, the, the symptom of sin is death. And so what Jesus is now saying is, in the face of death, I offer resurrection life. And in offering resurrection life and in undoing the symptom of death, I also am am curing its cause of sin. And so Jesus is saying resurrection leads to redemption. Sin can be forgiven because I have power over death. And the redeemed begin to represent new creation. So creation, sin, death, resurrection, redemption, new creation. What Jesus is saying is that He is the answer to what is wrong in the world. I have defeated death. I have defeated sin. If you place your hope in Me, you will be redeemed and forgiven and a part of the new creation and have life everlasting. Jesus is saying, I've come to do for you what you can never do for yourself. And He wants, verse 14, that we would believe in Him. He wants, verse 16, like the disciples, that we would go with Him and we would die with Him. So let's make the gospel very clear. The gospel of Jesus is we are sinners. We are dead, both spiritually and at some point will be physically. But Jesus has come to offer life and life. He's come to offer an everlasting life that transcends the grave. And He's come to offer a spiritual life that changes all things. He lived, He died, He rose again that we could know His resurrection life forever. So as He was talking to Martha there in verse 26, He says, Everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you Believe this? And in verse 27, Martha said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. And friends, this is the most important question for us today. Do I believe 
that, Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, the Redeemer, the King? And do I believe that by His death and His resurrection, my sins are forgiven and my only hope of everlasting life is in Him? This is the question of all time. It's the question of, of Holy Week. It's the question of He is risen. It's the question of Easter. Where do I stand with Jesus? And our hope today is that you would stand in Him. He is able to transcend all things. The main point of this passage is a gospel point. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, I know that we're running short on time, but I'm going to do this anyway, and I hope that you'll, you'll go with me. Our second point, is entitled, Loss, Grief, and Glory. And I'm going to take the time to look at this because of what I know is going on in our world. I don't think there's any single one of us who on some level today is not struggling with loss, is not struggling with grief, is not wondering what God is up to. And the main point of this passage, again, is Jesus is the resurrection, the life, and he proves it in raising Lazarus. But, but we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world where death is still happening, where illness is still real, where bodies are still decaying, where pain and hurt and agony is everywhere. How do we navigate loss in a fallen world while trusting in a Savior like Jesus? And in this passage offers to us some insight into the humanity of Jesus and into suffering in faith and into hopeful longing that we need to hear. And so I just want to walk this through. And again, these are secondary points, but so, so vital. You've lost a loved one to the virus. You have a loved one in the hospital today hoping they don't get the virus. You have chronic illness and can't get the care that you need. You've lost your job. You've took, taken, excuse me, you've taken a pay cut. You're just scared about what's going on in the world and wondering how it might impact you and your kids and your family. What do we do with loss and with grief in light of God's glory. This passage offers us an important glimpse into Jesus' humanity, the nature of loss, the nature of grief, and the power of seeing God's glory. So let's take a moment and let's explore this. Number one, this story is to display God's glory and the glory of Jesus. He says it in verse four. The purpose of the story is to display God's glory and the glory of Jesus. If we take the Bible seriously, everything that has ever happened and everything that ever will happen ultimately is to display God's glory. His praise, His praiseworthiness, that which is unique about Him. God is constantly displaying His glory. And so faith would say, even in hardship, God's glory is being displayed. God's glory is on parade. There's something that God wants us to see about Him through this. Second, this story has a redemptive goal. Verse 14, that you may 
believe. Part of what God is doing and displaying His glory through the story is, is a longing that, that people would believe in Christ and find everlasting life in Him. Now, friends, I, I fear, and particularly some of those of you who may be suffering right now, you fear that I'm going to stop there, and I'm not. But so often the church stops right here. Whatever hardship is going on, it's about God's glory, and it's about people meeting Jesus, and we just stop there. Those things are true, but there's another layer to this. Real suffering happened, real grief happened, and God cares about that too. So third, real loss occurred in this story. Yes, it was for God's glory. Yes, it was that we might believe, but real loss occurred. Lazarus really was sick, really fought for his last breath, and really died. Mary and Martha really watched their brother die. Many others really lost a friend. And Jesus lost a friend. So the fact that God's at work, the fact that God has a purpose and a plan, the fact that God is using it redemptively, doesn't mean that there's not loss. And friends, it is okay to admit and verbalize the pain of loss when loss is real. We can believe that loss hurts and still believe in God's glory. Fourth, real loss brings real grief. The purpose of it all is not intended to take away the real grief and the real emotion. Faith doesn't require the eradication of honest emotion. Let me say that one more time. Faith doesn't require the eradication of honest emotion. Verse 19, many Jews had come to console Mary and Martha. Verse 21, Martha Believed in everlasting life. Believed that she and Lazarus had it through Jesus and she still grieved. Mary was so overcome with grief that she fell at his feet and wept. And watching this, their friends wept. That's verse 32 and 33. And then, get this. Jesus, verses 33, 34, 35, and 36. We're told that Jesus was greatly troubled in the grief. We're told that Jesus himself wept. We're told that the crowd was moved to see how much Jesus loved Lazarus. And we're told again that right before the raising of Lazarus, Jesus was deeply moved again. Real loss brings real grief. And real grief is a part of real faith. We don't have to hide it. Fifth, note God's compassion as evidenced in Jesus. Could Jesus have done something? Yes. Could Jesus have miraculously prevented the death? Yes. Did He allow it? Yes. And He grieved over. Jesus is grieving over what 
loss and pain and agony his children are going through, then most certainly we're invited to grieve in faith. Sixth, we can ask questions in faith. All questions of God are not sin, and they are not shot down with the band-aid of God's glory. Mary brought her questions to Jesus. Martha brought her questions to Jesus. Perhaps some of the Jews genuinely brought the question of His power to Jesus. And Jesus accepted their questions. He taught them. He shaped them. But He welcomed them. Questions in hardship are welcomed. So the question is, how do we suffer in faith? Number seven, faith believes that God knows more and always acts rightly. Faith believes that God knows more and always acts rightly. He always acts lovingly. It's important for us to remember that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. And he stayed two days longer. Faith says that the love of God is far greater than me getting my best life now. Faith says that the love of God is knowing God, experiencing His power, and enjoying His kingdom. But for Lazarus, experiencing this love included his own death. For Mary and Martha and the Jews, experiencing this love included loss and grief. For Jesus, displaying His glory and sharing His love included real grief and real emotion. I want us to learn from this that loss is real. Grief is, is, a, is a, a part of our faith. And God's glory is the vision that carries us on. I hope that this exercise is freeing to you. Now, how does this story shape us? I want you to see how it shaped the last week of Jesus' life. Verses 45 through the end of the chapter tell us that this was such a, a, a moment of clarity and power and of who Jesus really was the Jewish leaders of the day said, we must kill Lazarus to put away this clear evidence of who Jesus is. Friends, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that means that he is with us and for us, and will carry us forward by His power. It means that seeing His glory is for our good. And it means that having faith in Him will carry us on. And yet, it means that we can live honestly, and transparently, and grievingly in this broken world, knowing that we have life in Him. How do you respond to him today?
our Father and our God, we pray now that you would be at work in us and teach us from your word. May we all see Jesus and glory in him. Teach us, Father, we pray. 